Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Watching Rum Buncher Radio, Trey Yannity, Marty Leap, and Nick Caparoso back to recap this week in Pirates Baseball. Talk about the trade deadline that happened this past Friday and everything in the world of Pirates Baseball, Major League Baseball. Marty, Nick, how you guys doing this week? Before we start this episode, guys, I have to address my listeners from across the galaxy, all the way from Australia to Houston. Do we have a pube problem? If so, our friends at Manscaped have cleared you for takeoff with their fourth generation and brand new lawnmower 4.0. Kick your pubes to the next planet with the Performance Package 4.0. The orbits in your pants will feel like you're in zero gravity when you use the best tools for the job from the leaders in male grooming. Join the two million men worldwide who trust Manscaped and get your rocket ready for takeoff by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping with the code FANSIDED20. That's FANSIDED20 for 20% off plus free shipping. Guys, we trust these products here at Rum Buncher Radio. We use them ourselves. There's a crop-preserving ball deodorant, a crop-reviver toner, performance boxer briefs, a travel bag to hold it all together. This thing has lights. It's waterproof. It can probably take you to space if you wanted it to. It has a 9,000 RPM motor-powered, 360-degree rotary dual-blade system. Guys, you could say the Pirates are in a bit of the weeds right now, and if that's your situation downstairs, we're not here to judge you. We've all been there. Just hit up the team at Manscaped. They're going to hook you up with the Lawnmower 4.0 to get you all that great stuff I just talked about. All you have to do is go to manscaped.com and type in FANSIDED20 to get 20% off and free shipping. Good. I'm currently on vacation at uh, Bethany Beach uh, with the in-laws. So, you know, enjoying a uh, little time away. But, you know, with the trade deadline last week, I definitely wanted to make sure I was available for the show when I want to miss it. So, Yeah, you know, been a good week. Um, you know, big week for the Pirates. Uh, we've covered this a lot on the site. But, you know, the month of July was going to kind of be that last – Real big, important month in this rebuild between the draft and the trade deadline. And now that we're on the other side of that and you have your draft pick signed and the trade deadline behind us, you can really start to kind of look ahead to the future of this franchise and where they're going and start to project when they're ready to compete again. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, we knew this end of the month, really the whole month of July was going to be a big one. And, you know, it seemed like this past week, it was every day, there was two, three major headlines about a signing or, you know, about a trade or something of that nature. Let's get right into the trade deadline to start it out tonight. Talk about the moves that the Pirates made. Obviously, Adam Frazier, Richard Rodriguez, uh, even some smaller deals being made there at the end as well for the Pirates. Talk about your guys' favorite return pieces. The Rich Rod deal, maybe to lead it off here, and your overall thoughts on the trade deadline 2021. 
Rich Rod deal um, was exciting. I mean, obviously, the way it broke, you know, late after 4 o'clock, I think everyone was expecting that, you know. we Everyone was putting out the, the old cliche tweets about, you know, remember trades can come out after 4 o'clock, and that was uh, definitely relevant this year. Um, I think there was a couple big fish like a Jose Barrios that was out there on the trade market that teams were kind of waiting on. And uh, that kind of held teams up, and that's why we saw so much action after 4 o'clock. But, yeah, the Richard Rodriguez one stands out. Um, the fact that you bring a former top prospect, um, pitching prospect, who can step right into your starting rotation, which desperately needs life anyhow at this point. So, you, you know, it's exciting to – Actually, you know, out of all these trades Sherrington has made, this is like the first time he's really gotten, you know, a player who's able to kind of step right in, uh, but also be part of this team's future, potentially. Yeah, I think of of the return they got to trade deadline, I think Bryce Wilson might be the guy I'm most excited about. You know, former top 100 prospect. He's had some struggles in the major leagues, but he also made his major league debut at 21, which not very many guys do. Um, he's got postseason experience, and he pitched really well for the Braves in playoffs last year. You know, started game what was it, game four of the NLCS and beat the Dodgers, and had the Braves up three to one in that series. And you know, it looked like Wilson was going to pitch the Braves to the World Series. So you know, w- Wilson's got a lot of a lot of talent in that arm. Really intrigued to see what he can do. Um, really good first start for him Monday night, going five innings against the Brewers, only giving that one run and two infield hits. So we'll see what they can do. I'm really intrigued by Wilson. I'm really excited about him. Like I said, I think of the players they got back at the deadline, I think Wilson might be the guy who, to me, has the highest ceiling. But I think my favorite return, and part of this is the fact that they got anything for the guy at all, let alone what they did. It's got to be the Clay Holmes trade. I mean, you, you bring in... Hoy Park, who looks like he'd be a really good utility guy for this team for a long time, and Diego Castillo, who are top two top 30 prospects in a pirate farm system. And if you can flip Clay Holmes for two top 30 prospects in one of the two or three best farm systems in baseball, that's saying a lot. And, you know, Nick, I know you and I were texting about this the other night, and you're reading a bit about Diego Castillo and Fangraphs. And, you know, they'd mentioned him as being a potential guy who could bolt to being a top 100 prospect this offseason. So, you know, the Pirates really do look like they um, probably really fleeced the Yankees in that Clay Holmes trade, if nothing else, because you traded a middle reliever who, and I've long been a big believer in Holmes. He's got excellent stuff. He's never put it all together. So you move the middle reliever who has five, six years of a track record of not being able to put it all together for a pair of top 30 prospects, one of which is a guy who looks ready to really shoot up prospect boards this offseason. Yeah, and I mean, honestly, like, if he goes to New York and he's off to a good start up there in New York and good for him. And that that's what that comes down to for me. Like the pirates were not trading an important piece to this future. And they got two guys who potentially could be parts of this future. Like you said, Marty with park being a, you know, right now he, he should be in the team starting lineup probably every night, but you know, long-term, like you said, maybe a, a super utility piece and Castillo who could vie for some playing time down the road. And if not, once again, you're looking at another potential, you know, plus bat off the bench. If, and if, if that's the case then the pirates are doing a lot of things, right. Also, um, 
I want to bounce back a little bit to Bryce Wilson too. Like you said, like, you know, he's been up with the Braves for a while. And honestly, like his usage with the Braves has been weird. It's been hard for him to find consistency. They've used him in a lot of different scenarios, bullpen, long relief, shorter relief when they've needed to um, in the starting rotation up and down between triple A you know, that, that takes a toll on a player too. Uh, he's, he was in a system in Atlanta at that time, especially that had a lot of young pitchers, you know, who were all competing to be that next guy in the rotation. So the fact that he's going to be able to come here and know that he's a part of this rotation for the foreseeable future and is going to have every opportunity he needs might be what he just needs to kind of take that next step forward and start to find a little more consistency in his game. I also, you know, one thing I do want to note, his fastball is 92 to 94. If you watch his clips from the postseason last year, he was up 96. So I think there's more there also. And I think, you know, that will lead to a little more swing and miss than we saw last night. Oh, no doubt. And, you know, he's 23 years old. We got to keep that in mind. There's, you know, we've had this conversation on here countless times about how nowadays you see the Tatises and these Juan Soto type players that kind of ruin it for the guys like Bryce Wilson that need some consistency and is still a young pitcher that this team can really produce. And Ben Sherrington does continue his robbery, his legal robbery. He already had one better start than Mitch Keller has this year. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. No yeah. doubt about it. Last two years, actually, I think. Maybe. Yeah, I was going to say maybe the entire career. <laughs> um, you know, we're going to talk about Mitch Keller a little bit later on in this show. Uh, but before we do that, I want to take it back to 2014. This is something that we talked a little bit about uh, before we got started recording here tonight. But 2014 was the first domino in a few drafts that really changed things for the Pirates. Obviously, Mitch Keller was taken in that draft. And another player that, uh, you know, the Pirates thought highly of at the time, Cole Tucker, was taken in that draft as well. Talk about that year, that draft, and what it's meant to this organization and, you know, kind of what it means now that we've seen what happens with a great draft like we saw this past year. So that was before Marty and I were here at Runbunner. We were just starting, actually, our former blog, Clemente's Wall, um, that was our first draft we were going to cover um, on the Weebly site. I don't believe we did any draft before that, right, Marty? No, we did not. That was our first one. Okay, so obviously we were pretty excited, and thus we you know, did a lot of research because we wanted to make sure, like, hey, we, we got to cover this right. Like, we want people to to, you know, read our stuff. So... Then they drafted Cole Tucker, and we didn't know what to say because we didn't know who he was. <laughs> yeah, I, I still remember me texting you in an outrage that night over them drafting Cole Tucker, not just because they drafted Cole Tucker, but because who is still on the board, which I will get into when they drafted Cole Tucker. But so they take Cole Tucker, and like obviously – we looked into him a little more and we found out, okay, rising high school shortstop, like might be able to sign him below slot and also then use that later. So, you know, obviously Neil Huntington's GM, he took Austin Meadows last year and Reese McGuire, you know, yeah. All right. Give us Colt Tucker. We like this kid's upside. He has the frame. He has the athleticism. Then they follow it up. Marty. 
what with the rest of the 14 draft and that disaster? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, Cole Tucker goes number 24 with the Pirates next pick, the compensation pick at number 39. They make a terrific draft pick of Connor Joe. Connor Joe. Did nothing. And He's done more for, once again, more other teams than the, the, Pirates. the Pirates. Yeah. yeah. And it's just, you know, what, what really frustrates me most about that 2014 draft, you know, you, you look at the Pirates, they take Colt Tucker, number 24 overall. Um, number 25, a guy, you may have heard of him. His name is Matt Chapman. Went the next pick. The pick after Matt Chapman, another guy you may have heard of, Luke Weaver. Um, you know, and then oh, Mike no, someone in between pirate goes to the Red Sox. Just it's Jack Flaherty <laughs> went a few picks after Cole Tucker. Michael Kopik, who is widely regarded the top prospect in baseball at one point, one goes a few picks after Cole Tucker. And even Justice Sheffield, who has struggled this year for Seattle, that had an awesome season last year, also goes a few picks after Cole Tucker. The Pirates, Jack Flaherty, Jack Flaherty, Michael Kopik, Justice Sheffield, Luke Weaver, Matt Chapman. These are all guys who went within the seven to eight picks after Cole Tucker. They could have had their pick of potential all stars or future all stars at that pick, and they didn't. And as we're going to get into, you know, that just really started. You know, you could probably look back at that 2014 draft as the start of the end for Neil Huntington as general manager of the Pirates because of what transpired throughout the rest of that draft and in the upcoming draft classes. And that's kind of where we're going with this. Like, so they take Connor Joe and it's already a little confusing because the belief was they they were going to save a little cash with Cole Tucker um, because they overdrafted him. But they then followed up with two intriguing pitch and uh, picks and Mitch Keller and Trey Supak, both high school pitchers. And it made sense. Okay. They're going to have to give them over slot deals this all makes sense now. Well, what didn't make sense was like, what, a year later, Neil Huntington traded Trey Supak away to the Brewers for Jason Rogers. Rogers, yeah. It was well, like a year, year later, year and a half later. Yeah, actually, you forgot two picks in between Mitch Keller and Trey Supak. Don't don't forget about the number 100 overall pick in the draft by the Pirates, Jordan Luplo, who's gone on to have a nice little career at the Cleveland Indians, but don't worry, guys, we got well, Eric Gonzalez for him. Hey, Eric, Keller, yeah, give some like, Eric Gonzalez some respect yeah. now, Mark. Time Come out, on. time out. Keller, Keller was 64, Supak was 73. I thought Supak went later than that. Yeah, he was competitive balance B. Are you sure? Correct. I'm looking at it right now. I'm looking at it here. I don't think, regardless. 73 overall, Trey Supak. Regardless. Does it's a disaster of a draft, no matter how you want to paint it. And listen, the loop low thing, if Tanaj Thomas even comes close to his potential, it's going to be all good. <laughs> yeah, but that's you're, you got to. I'm not a Tanaj Thomas believer. So that's part of the reason why I also get frustrated over the loop. Yeah, low. but I think he could at least be an elite back end bullpen arm. Fair enough. I do think his ceiling is probably bullpen, but still. But Max Moroff went in that deal too, right? Correct. Correct. Yeah, that, that trade was an interesting one at the time. Obviously, still waiting on Tanaj Thomas. But, uh, you know, looking back, the Pirates couldn't have used Matt Chapman or Jack Flair. Uh, you know, whatever. But 2015, we move it along to the next year. Talk about that draft and, uh, you know, kind of how this domino effect kept going. Yeah, I mean, it was the same thing. They come out, take Kevin Newman, who once again was not who we were expecting them to take. Um, and... With him, like, it was a little better because you knew he was an advanced hitter coming out of Arizona. So you kind of like the fact that 
like, okay, he he's done nothing but hit in his college career. Like he's probably going to be a major leaguer in some capacity. Uh, but once again, you just question that front office and what they were targeting. And, you know, Kevin Newman is exactly what everybody feared he would be coming out of the draft. And it's that he is a light hitter, um, you know, probably better suited for a bench position. And that's exactly what we got. And, you know, essentially two years in a row, you take Tucker, you take Newman, and you didn't get your future shortstop out of either of those picks. Yeah. And I mean, one thing with 2015, and again, Nick, I remember you and I texting about this on draft night. When it got to the Pirates at pick 19 in that draft, and Walker Bueller, who three yeah. years prior they had drafted and failed to sign with Stone on the board, I remember saying, you this has got to be a sign, still delivered. They can get Bueller again. They can get him out of college this time. He's going to sign. They're going to take Bueller, and they're going to have that future rotation anchor. And no, they go Kevin Newman. Walker Bueller, as we all know, falls with the Dodgers and has become an absolute ace. Them not taking Walker Bueller there because of their past history with him, just it made no sense to me whatsoever at the time. And looking back on it, it's even more frustrating that they didn't take Walker Bueller or even, you know, Mike Soroka, who was still on the board and won a few picks later to the Braves. They, they could have had, they had multiple opportunities there to get a future ace, including guy they had previously drafted. And instead, Neil Huntington takes Kevin Newman. You know, the real issue here is, is that, what we've learned about this previous regime is they really uh, thought of themselves highly. And the, probably the fact that the Walker Bueller thing didn't work out in the past, that probably made them feel like in the future that, yeah, this is someone we're not going to negotiate with. And that wouldn't surprise me based off what we've heard. Yeah. 2016 comes along and the Pirates draft Will Craig in the first round. You know, hindsight's 2020 on all of these. You know, we could sit here and talk about how the Pirates could have taken this guy, that guy, whatever. But I mean, you know, you look at this draft too, and Brian Reynolds taken at 59 in that draft. Pete Alonzo is at pick 64. Bo Bichette was at 66. Another great draft, another Pirates player that is now in Korea, who had a, a bit of a tough start to the season as well in Pittsburgh. Let's move along to 2017. Shane Boz in that draft. Obviously, uh, no, no longer with the Pirates there as well. And then 2018, uh, Travis Swaggerty. Now, like Marty said before, the show has blown up his shoulder uh, and, you know, still has potential to, to make an impact with the Pirates. But, you know, up until really this past draft, there was a lot of misses. And, you know, it was the old regime versus this new regime. It is night and day to this point. And, if, you know, we haven't seen Nick Gonzalez at the big league level. We obviously haven't seen Henry Davis, but... uh you know, the kid hit a home run in his pro debut. We love what we have in Nick Gonzalez. I think we're off to a much better start. And these signings as well. I mean, you look at this past week, the fact that they were able to pull this off, and I want to touch on this for just a second. You know, did you guys really believe they were going to be able to sign all of these guys, at least the four main kids that they took there in the first three rounds in compensation pick? And, you know, even the guys after that. I mean, when they took the guys they did, I, I expected them to sign – Solomito, I expect him to sign Lonnie White, and I expect him to sign Bubba Chandler. I did not expect them to sign Braylon Bishop because I didn't think they would be able to offer him what it was going to take to get the job done. Well, and they did. Yeah, really like, tweeted, you know. yeah, and he was—he seemed pretty locked into Arkansas still. Um, that was the real coup of the draft to me was 
Bishop. Um, I think Bubba Chandler, I mean, has the potential, in my opinion, to wind up being one of the probably five to ten best players taken in this draft. But the fact you're able to get Bishop, who was a consensus top 100 talent, and it's probably going to be a top 100 prospect in baseball within the next two to three years in the 14th round, it was incredible. And again, just goes to show the difference between this regime and the old regime. I mean, you know, the old regime we talked about, for example, drafting Walker Bueller, not getting him signed. Nick Lodolo, not getting him signed. Paul DeYoung, not getting them signed. To the credit of Ben Charrington, he shot for the moon with these picks and got these guys signed. You know, Neil Huntington, that was something he tried to do early on in his regime. It never really did work out, even when he was able to sign guys. You know, you had the, the year of the bonus baby pitchers with Zach Von Rosenberg and that group. None of those guys panned out. But it really did seem a lot of times one, excuse me, one Neil Huntington tried to go this route, he either failed to sign the guys or he didn't. They didn't pan out. Ben credit got these guys signed. And Marty, I think you're explaining, you know, perfectly the issue with the previous regime. Early in their career, they spent a lot of money in the draft and they didn't have a whole lot to show for it. So they tried to change their way of thinking. And they changed way too extreme by taking two signable guys right. and trying to spread that money out. And you know, when it comes down to it, like you look at 2013. Actually, you look at 2012, you don't have a first-round pick. You take Barrett Barnes in a second round, who is just, I mean, never plays. Never stay healthy. 2013, you take Reese McGuire, you take Austin Meadows, who you trade away. 2014, 2015, 2016, you have three infielders who are all very well could not be on this team past this offseason. Then in 2017 – you have Shane Boz, who you trade away. And 2018, like you said, Swaggerty, hopefully his shoulder recovers and we'll see yet. But I mean, even even a 2017 draft. Years, man. Yeah, it just you have even, nothing to show for those drafts. I mean, that. Yeah, like. like no the, 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 the 17 draft is an example. I have it up here in front of me. It's like Shane Boz. Maybe the top pitching prospect in the baseball right now. They trade him away. Steve Jennings never going to do anything at the Pirates. Cal Mitchell, who you took in the second round, and then Mason Martin, who you just took an absolute flyer on in the 17th round, are probably your last two hopes in this draft to really do anything. And not to be like this, but Cal Mitchell's prospect status has taken off since the new regime's come in. Regime come in. Yeah, it was ever since. Not good. He struggled uh, in 2019, I believe. Yeah, and ever since this group has come in, they've got him turned around. And he's a guy who, quite honestly, probably should be a AAA at this point, no longer be a AA. And Mason Martin's kind of in that same boat. You know, you just look at some of the other top names from this draft that guys are excited about. Cody Bolton, someone who's struggled with injuries, has never really put it together. Jared Oliva, you know, just never really put it all together here and. Maybe the the third or fourth best player in the draft might prove to be Tristan Gray, who's another guy they traded away to Tampa Bay. So it's just the, the the difference between the old regime and the new regime with the draft is night and day, and I think that's going to prove to lead to a massive difference in the long term success of this franchise. Like literally, the, the new regime 
got four players, maybe five if you want to consider Bishop in there too, who all probably have better potential than those first-round picks Neil Huntington took in those middle years. <laughs> yeah. I mean, honestly, I mean, again, not that, you know, Cole Tucker, Kevin Newman, and Will Craig Julius really sit in the bar that high, but all, all five of those guys have the ability to be better major league players than they are. And while, yes, saying that they might get to the level of an Austin Meadows or a Shane Boz is putting a lot of praise on them. They can give more to the Pirates than Austin Meadows and Shane Boz ever did. They can give more to the Pirates than Reese McGuire ever did. You know, like the, the, the most productive thing any of those three ever did was help the Pirates get rid of Francisco Liriano's contract. Like it, it's, it's, it's just incredible. It, it, it really, what's just, I think with me, the most frustrating part as you look at this run from the 2013 or really 2012 with the Appel stuff through the 2019 drafts in every first round pick, Quinn Priester aside, because Priester looks like he's going to pan out. Every first round pick has either gotten injured like Swaggerty has totally bombed or the pirates traded away and they became a star somewhere else. Somehow, some way in that stretch, not a single one of these guys has yet to do anything productive and pan out for the Pirates was just incredible to think that over the course of almost 10 years, they failed to produce a single first round pick that was productive at the major league level and became a building block for this team. It's laughable. I mean, it's really crazy to look back and think about, you know, what happened over the last decade of drafts, but you know, it makes you appreciate what's going on now. Uh, we won't talk about the Shane Boz deal or any of that anymore this episode. Um, but yeah, another edition of It Never Ends here on Rum Bunter Radio. We'll keep it going for just a second longer. Mitch Keller uh, makes his return with the Big League Pirates. I, I love the headline I saw. Uh, I think, I can't remember if it was released by Jason Mackey, whoever in an article, but they said the stuff looked there for Mitch Keller, but the results, you know, still yet to come. That's been the story. I mean, you know, we've always known that he's had it, but we've never seen it at the Big League level. Uh, and, you know, we, we've talked about it a lot. The, the clock is ticking here on Mitch Keller. Let's give an update on where he stands as, you know, we get closer to this offseason now, what you guys see happening and, you know, how you see the rest of his season going now that he's back with the uh, with the big league team. Yeah, I, I mean, the thing with Keller, like we've said, that clock's ticking. I mean, I understand he's a young player still. And, you know, he's a former top 50, top 20 prospect in baseball, depending on, which service you want to go by, but you know, it, it, obviously it's a small sample size, but 29 MLB starts and things don't look good. I mean, that's almost a full season worth of starts at that point. You know, typically you're going to get 32, 33 starts out of a starting pitcher over the course of a season. And through his first 29 starts, he's only averaging four innings per start. That ERA is 634. Or he's, he's not throwing strikes. He's not commanding the fastball, his stuff, while it still looks good, does not look like the elite stuff we heard about coming through the minors. He's giving up a ton of hard contact. I mean, this year, the exit velocity off of him is 91.5 miles per hour, which is two miles per hour higher than league average. He's giving up hard hits at a 48.8% clip, which is 6% higher than league average. You know, his barrel rate against of 9.6%, again, higher than league average. Like he's just, there's nothing about Mitch Keller that to me says he's going to be a successful major league pitcher. He does not look confident on the mound. 
He does not look like he's got control of his pitches. He has no fastball command. His stuff is just steadily regressed since he got here. I, I just, at this point, I think if you're the Pirates, you have to start Keller every five days the rest of the way because you've got to see what you've got in a guy. But assuming he continues to struggle every five days down the stretch, I, I can't envision a scenario where Keller is on this roster to start the 2022 season. And while I don't think they would completely give up on him this quickly, you know, as we'll get into later in the season, heading the offseason, the Pirates are going to be, they're facing roll five hell this offseason. I don't think it's out of the equation. We see Keller taking off the 40 man roster because of their roll five situation. If he continues to struggle, I really think if Keller continues to struggle, there's a real possibility he's not in the Pirate organization next season. And if he is, it's because he was designated for assignment and no one else picked him up. Yeah, I mean, the the big thing with Keller also is the fact that Charrington doesn't have any ties to him. Correct. He's Huntington's player, like we were saying earlier, he's Neil Huntington's draft pick. Like, it's not – Charrington's not admitting anything by moving on from him if it means keeping a player that, you know, he wanted to bring into this organization. So, I don't – like you said, Marty, I don't know what their plan is with him, but I do agree with you at this point. You just need um, someone to continue to eat innings and rather that be Mitch Keller and maybe he gets something figured out. But like you said, I don't know how much he can get figured out. He's giving up a lot of hard contact, and that's simply because of you know what I've spoken about before and wrote about before. He his pitches just aren't that good anymore. Like you said, they're not what they were in the minor leagues or at least reported to be. The spin rates aren't there and, you know, his fastball's flat. And when he does get it in the zone, it gets hit hard. And that's why he lacks confidence. It's not the other way around. You know, and one thing I will add to that too, you know, this was after his final start before being demoted to the minor leagues. This was a month or so ago. I remember listening to the post-game show on 93.7 The Fan with Dan Zangrilli, and there are a few people who are more connected, more tied in with the Pirate organization than Zangrilli is. And I remember Zangrilli saying, you know, and I don't think this was him reaching a straws. I think this was based off things he's heard from people and based off conversations he's had that there's a real possibility that this old regime, in an effort to kind of save face or whatever it might be, really pumped up Keller – it's to be a lot more than he was and a lot more than they knew he was. And, you know, you hate to say that about a guy, but with what we've seen from Keller, that seems like it's a real possibility. I mean, he just hasn't had it. It's really, and it's a crazy thought to think that he might not, you know, he might get taken off this 40 man roster in the off season, but that's the situation the pirates are facing. And it's a great point, Nick, this is not one of Ben Sherrington's guys. This is a guy that, you know, in his mind is a bit more disposable than we may think of, uh, you know, after his high selection in the draft and, and, you know, just the fact that he was the number one prospect in this organization and he has, um, you know, had the expectations for so long now, but the clock is certainly ticking on Mitch Keller. Stephen Brault, though, coming back for game number three against Milwaukee is we record here on Tuesday night. Been a fun series so far. Pirates, uh, you know, have seen some great defense, especially from Brian Reynolds, but uh, they're being no hit 
as uh, as they play it out in the bottom of the fifth inning. So hopefully they can turn it around tonight. But tomorrow, Stephen Brault comes back, making his first start in quite some time. How is this going to change up the rotation? Uh, you know, we've gotten to see the chance. Uh, we've ha- we've had the chance to see a lot of young guys, um, you know, pitch recently. Here, Max Kranich going on Tuesday night. But we might not see that as much. How is that going to affect the rotation? And what are you guys excited for in Stephen Brault's return? I actually am excited to see Stephen Brault come back. Um, you know, just because we've had so much uncertainty in the starting rotation, it was nice when Tyler Anderson's day came up in the rotation because you kind of knew what you were going to get from him. And, you know, worry sometimes about these young pitchers, and these young bullpen arms getting a little overexposed. Um, and so adding a guy like Brock, you know, a veteran who you can rely on to hopefully get through five uh, innings every night. Um, you know, I'm excited to see, but really the, the reason I'm actually using the word excited, you know, never in my life have I ever said that I'm excited to see Stephen Brawl pitch. And I'm not really that excited to see him pitch. What I'm excited for is what his stats are going to look like at the end of the year, because, you know, he has a year of control remaining. Um, if he can put together a healthy and decent uh, second half on top of what he put together in 2020, uh, the Pirates could once again have a, you know, decent trade chip on their hands. Yeah, I'm with you with Brault. Um, I'm excited for that reason. See if he can build up some trade value for the offseason. I'm also excited just to have a guy that you feel confident that every five days is going to give you at least five or six innings. Um, you know, before the Pirates have said they're going to utilize the six-man rotation the rest of the season. So I'm sure Brault's going to be a guy that's get the ball every five days. Uh, Chad Cole as well, when he returns from the COVID list, will get the ball every five days. And probably Will Crow, but other than that, you know, it's probably going to be some mix and matching guys. I'm sure they'd love to get Miguel Uray, another starter two up here, if he can get healthy by the end of the year. But with Brault, I'm just excited to have a guy who, for the sake of saving the bullpen, saving innings, this sort of thing, you know is going to be able to give you five or six strong innings or at least quality innings every time he takes the ball. It'd be great to have him back. You know, a great clubhouse guy, great personality on this team, a more familiar face for the fans to see as well. Stephen Brock going tomorrow as they close out the series in Milwaukee. Pirates playing the top of the division right now. Three games set against the Brewers, then they travel to Cincinnati. That series starts on Thursday. Let's preview that a little bit, what you guys are excited for. Uh, still no starters named in that series, but the Pirates taking on the second-place Reds starting Thursday night. Yeah. I think with that series, you know, I'll be curious to see the, the pitching matchups. Um, really, really excited to see what Bryce Wilson can do. Assuming he'll get a start in that series, see what he can do moving forward here. And, you know, with the Reds, it's hopefully the offense has really struggled lately. So you'd like to see great American ballpark with, you know, one of the best hitter parks in baseball. Hopefully be able to get the offense going a little bit again. Uh, maybe some guys can go there. Take advantage of the small park, have some confidence. You know, also action. Yeah, it'd be nice to see Castro hit a couple nukes out the right field there. So hopefully, you know, with the Reds in that series, I'll be excited to see what Bryce Wilson can do. And hopefully that series can be the uh the medicine this offense needs to kind of get going again. Yeah, it'd be nice to make the Reds pay too for being a little timid at the trade deadline there you know, give them a couple losses and set them back. Um, But like Marty said, you know, I'm just at this point, you know, the series going forward, I'm looking forward to 
the young guys. You know, let's see what Castro can uh, do, continue to do, see what they have in park. Um, hopefully we'll see Michael Chavis get up here soon um, to join the lineup as well. Because really that's, you know, the future, like we said, the, this past trade deadline was very much um, one of the key dates for the the end of the rebuild, per se. And now, like I said, we're starting to see some of these younger talents come up. Let's get more up here and let's see what we got. Yeah, I think just in general, that's one thing I'm really looking forward to the rest of the season. No, I want to see Park in the lineup. I want to see Michael Chavis up here. I want to see Castro playing every day still. Um, if Tukapita Marcano gets called up, I want to see him playing. Um, I want to see Nick Mears and David Bednar taking the ball in the eighth and ninth inning of games. You know, they're probably the future of your back end of the bullpen. Let's see what they can do. I know he's had some struggles. I want to see Max Kranich making starts. Bryce Wilson, Uray when he gets healthy. It's it's about the future. Let me see these guys who could be building blocks moving forward. Let's see what they've got. Let's see how Brian Hayes responds to hitting a little bit of adversity lately. You know, there's a lot to watch with this team still about the future, and I'm just excited to see it. Can Brian Reynolds finish the season? Yeah. You know, with with Reynolds, he's a guy, if the Pirates were even halfway decent, would legitimately be an MVP talk. I want to see if he can finish out Katina, put together an MVP-type season over the course of this last, what, two months or so here. Oh, yeah. It's going to be so fun to watch. This past week of Brian Reynolds, as the rest of them this summer have been, it's just been incredible. Um, and, you know, somebody talked about it in our group message this week. You know, is this the best we see out of Brian Reynolds? I don't think so. I think this is just the bar he's going to set that he'll continue on for the rest of his career, hopefully for a long time in Pittsburgh. We're going to talk about contracts like Brian Reynolds and episodes coming up. Uh, you know, the rest of this season, like you guys are talking about, the future. That's what it's about. This season's been tough. It has. The Pirates are in last in the Central, but there's been so many fun storylines. Rodolfo Castro, John Nagowski, a lot of these young pitchers. It's been great to watch. And, you know, the Pirates uh, creeping closer to the end of the season. Next year is when we see it really start to turn around. Believe in Ben Sherrington. Good things are happening. End of the month of August now for Nick Caparoso and Marty right. Reed. My name is Trey. What's up, Nick? I can add in because you said it right. You know, next year, like – I know we have said, and that's why I said that this was a key date for the rebuild. The rebuild is still not over. We just talked about how Ben Charrington still has some of Neil Huntington's players here. And obviously he's going to keep some of them, especially the prospects. But they still have guys like Stephen Brault, Chris Stratton, um, who could be traded. Jacob Stallings, who um, reportedly, you know, drew some interest at this deadline and once again, doesn't necessarily um, age-wise make sense to keep in uh, the long term. So this rebuild isn't 100% over. I would say it's like 90, 95%. You know, I think at this That's point, fair, yeah. it's pretty clear, um, you know, the couple guys left that they can, they could trade and probably will trade, but yeah, 2022, that's – you're right. That's kind of more of the year because we got to get through this offseason and see, uh, you know, the couple other moves yet that I could see them making. One thing I will I will add to that, <clears throat> you said about, you know, Ben Charrington, New England players. Opening day, 2022, my prediction is the Pirate 40-man roster, less 
than 10 of those players are players that were acquired by Neil Huntington. 10 or less. 10 or less of that 40 are Neil Huntington players. And I think a big chunk of that is going to be prospects who get added to be protected from the Rule 5 draft. Well, all right, but, you know, JT Brubaker is a Huntington player. Yeah, I just went through the 40, man. I have like five guys on there to survive it. All right, all right. No, I didn't know you looked at it. Marty did his homework. Yeah, I did. And then you throw in, you know, Mason Martin's going to be protected. Cal Mitchell's going to be protected. But a lot of the a lot of these prospects are going to be protected from the Rule 5 drafter, guys that Charrington has brought in. When Marty was in college, he did his homework, you know, on the bench outside of the classroom right before we went in. That's so, right. That's hey, better late than never. That's all right. It was, it was done. <laughs> there were some times I was doing my homework walking into the building. So I think Marty uh, at least had that on me there. But uh, no, I mean, it's, you know, it's a process. And we've seen this process go very methodically to this point. And it's crazy to think that, you know, like you said, Marty, there's probably going to be 10 or less guys at the start of the 2022 season on that 40-man roster. And, you know, Ben Sherrington's only been here for two years. It feels like he's been here for five years at this point. Um, you know, the way he has just came in and cleaned house and set this team up for future success. Uh, but like I said, we are going to be previewing the rest of this season and covering all things Pirates baseball. As always, guys, you can find us on Omni.com slash Runbunter. Go to Fansided.com. Check out our podcast there and the rest of our articles from staff writers like Noah Wright, uh, Steve Stroko. We got some new staff writers as well. Go show these guys some love. You can find their articles there. You can find them on Twitter as well. You can find our podcasts there and uh, you know our, our tweets where we try to console and, and comfort you as Pirates fans. Uh, until <laughs> next week, guys. Uh, Apple Music, Spotify as well. And like I said at the beginning of our episode, we got the Manscaped deal going on. So go to manscaped.com and use the code FANSIDED20 for 20% off and free shipping. Until next week, the Pirates get ready to take on Cincinnati. They close it out in Milwaukee first. Have a great week, everybody. Let's go Bucks. mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.